Hey, everybody. Welcome into this edition of the First Baptist Big Spring Podcast. Glad you joined me today. Today we will be continuing our series on the Reformation, Heroes of the Reformation. This will be part two. We're going to cover a couple of different early, early Reformers, almost pre-Reformers, if you will, today. And so we will talk about those this week. Probably going to look at Erasmus and Luther next week. And so we'll... We, we may look at Zwingli, haven't decided exactly how it's going to be uh, going, but those are a few of the ones that we're going to be looking at. But today I want to look at a technological innovation that was absolutely instrumental in the formation or the ability of the Protestant Reformation to even happen. And maybe you know this invention is connected to the Protestant Reformation, and maybe you don't. But... It was certainly key. So we're going to look at uh, two individuals. One, the inventor of this new technology that made the, the revolution possible, and then another precur precursor to this Protestant Refor Reformation. And the first figure we're going to look at is Johann Gutenberg. Gutenberg, uh, as you may know from history, not necessarily church or Christian history, Gutenberg was the inventor of the printing press at the time, and actually until recently it was originally developed, they called it movable type, and he developed that somewhere, oh, give or take, around the mid-1400s or so, a little bit there sometime right at just before 1450 or so, probably, while living in Strasbourg. Strasbourg, excuse me. Uh, we don't have an exact date on that. And this was an invention that he certainly modified and was working on for several years. And as we learn a little bit more about him, we, we have actually found out that the actual physical printing press was probably not the most difficult part of the process, but it was the ink and the paper that was actually one of the more limiting factors that needed a lot of refinement to make it work with the fairly simple invention of the printing press uh, there in the mid-1400s. Gutenberg was born around the year 1397. We don't have an exact date on that. But he was instrumental in the Protestant Reformation. Now let me tell you a little bit about the printing press there. Basically, before Gutenberg's printing press, if you wanted to read something that someone else had written, you would have had to pick up a handwritten copy of it. Someone would have had to copy that from some type of written word into another one. You could use blank paper. Uh, you could use wood cuttings. You could use things like that. But this was the only way. Uh, think about the scrolls of the Old Testament, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered in the, in the early to mid-1900s. These were things that were the ways that people read and transcribed information, and it was extremely slow. It's also prone to error at, at times. And so Gutenberg developed a way for this to be done much more efficiently, 
much quicker and consequently much cheaper. Made this was the first thing in modern in the world history really that was mass produced. And so not only was Gutenberg credited with kind of the one of the huge precursors to the Protestant Reformation, this actually is a forerunner to the Industrial Revolution where things are begin, going to begin being mass produced uh, in that way. Now, a couple of years ago, I went to Philadelphia. I'd never been to Philadelphia before in my life. Uh, Elizabeth and I were there uh, together, and we went to all the touristy places in Philadelphia, Constitution Hall, the Liberty Bell, all these different things. But about a block away, went to the Mint, there where coins are made. But about a block away from Constitution Hall is Ben Franklin's printing shop. Now, Ben Franklin was a printer in his daily life there during the American Revolution. And a working reproduction of his print shop is there in Philadelphia, and they give demonstrations. The technology used there in the 1700s is very similar to the technology that was in the mid-1400s and into the 1500s. There have been some things that have changed and a few minor alterations, but the mechanical nature of it is very, very similar. Very little change happened between the 1400s and the invention of elect or the discovery of electricity and the ability to use machines electric machines to be able to do this work. And so it was really inter interesting. They take the letters, they form them on the press, and then they pull this giant lever down. I see if I can find a description or a video of this. I'll link it in the notes for the podcast, but it's really interesting. And it would move and you would stamp however many you wanted to stamp of that page and you would move on to the next page and then you would bind it uh, together. Although this was still a fairly tedious process, it was extremely, extremely, an extreme impro improvement from handwriting one copy at a time. So you could print that, you could do it, you could bind it, and so suddenly, magically, you had, you had a book. And it was done so much faster uh, than it had been done before. In August of 1456, the press produced the first the world's first printed Bible, known as the Gutenberg Bible. It was the Latin Vulgate version of Scripture. Ornate, very luxurious Bible. Uh, the Catholic Church, as you may know, before the Protestant Reformation, would use the Latin translation there. And the printing press would begin this revolution of mass producing. Before this, most of the, the majority of the world was illiterate. They couldn't read. There was books were limited to the highly rich and affluent. And so this was a, a big thing. When you have control of, of how many people can read and how many people can write, you can control the information. Uh, the Catholic Church finds itself there in the 1400s. Uh, Communist China tries to maintain that today. Countries like North Korea will try to do this as well and try to control the information. Many, many in the world there could not read. Uh, if they could read, it was in their language that they're familiar with, and almost none of them read Latin. So they didn't have access to the written word, even if they could read, because it was so expensive. But after the printing press, there was now a motivation to learn to read, because the lower down in society could have actually afforded to buy a book. 
and the press transformed the literacy rate around the world. The Catholic Church would only have mass in in Latin. It was not the and that was worldwide. It was not the language of the people. And what the Catholic Church, the pre-reformed church discovered was that the people began to believe the word of God more than tradition about the word of God. You see, when someone tells you something, you believe it. But when you read something with a higher authority that contradicts that, you begin to ask questions about what you've been told. The printing press made this possible. Luther is one of the first ones, and we will talk about him in a future episode. He is one of the first that will utilize this technology in order to mass produce things for people to read and talk about how the Bible is the final authority, not the church. And so we're going to read about that, and the Catholic Church is going to discover the power of the printing press in just a few short years after its invention. Uh, so, for example, if you wanted to organize a protest against the Catholic Church, uh, the only way was to stand on the street corner and give a speech. Or maybe you wanted the few affluent enough ones to be able to read and write. But no, you could read other things, and, and Luther's works were read. But now with the mass production and being able to have books produced, you could actually afford them on your own, and you could read them for yourself. Luther and Calvin and others of that we'll talk about in the future, these readings are now widely available to the public. And people begin to read and understand what they were talking about. And it wasn't just someone else telling them something different. It was the ability to read Scripture for themselves. And when you realize Scripture is a higher authority than any man, then you begin to understand the power of the Word of God. Think about the United States Revolution against Britain in the 1700s. One of the main ways that those that wanted to break off from their own country got information out was by pamphlets and books. It would stir the crowds up. And Common Sense by Thomas Paine and other writings of some of the some of those uh, there would would write and they would read and they would understand that we got to do something and it would stir the people up to want to take action. As more things began to be produced and as more things happened, as more people read about what was going on in the United, in the colonies at the time, at the beginning, most people in the United States did not support leaving the British colony system and forming their own country. It seemed like a crazy idea. But the more they began to read, the more they became agitated and upset about some of the things and finding out that they were being mistreated and others utilize this technology as well. And so that's the same thing that's going to happen here in the Protestant Reformation. We see people uh, in that way. Our modern understanding of the Bible, that it is a printed book to be read by people for consuming the Word of God, that's an entirely modern understanding of the Word of God. For the first 1,500 years of from the time of Christ, until around this time period that we're discussing right now, reading a Bible on your own was a completely foreign thought. It would be read to you in church by the priest. But now that there is a printed copy of the Word of God that you could actually own for yourself because it was inexpensive enough, you could have it, you could read it. And this caused great strife and 
uh, problem in the in the early church or in the in the Catholic Church at the time. So this was a real problem, and uh, this is what some of the reformers are going to use and to begin to talk about this and, and read about this. I want to end our time here with talking about Gutenberg with one of his quotes. Gutenberg said this, and you can see how he's connected to the Protestant Reformation clearly in this quote. It is a press, certainly, but a press from which shall flow inexhaustible streams through it. God will spread his word. A spring of truth shall flow from it. Like a new star, it shall scatter the darkness of ignorance and cause the light hereto unknown to shine amongst men. Gutenberg is saying in that statement, we're living in darkness and people are going to come into the light and they're going to read the scriptures and they're going to understand what they're reading and it's going to reveal to them the power of God. Luther is one of the ones that stood to benefit from that uh, most greatly. And when we look at other historical figures throughout uh, the Protestant Reformation, what we find is that there's usually someone, there's a chain to be followed. This guy influences this guy, and that person influences that one. And then a lot of times there's someone behind the scenes, but because of not direct actions or reading or writing or different understandings of what was going on, there was someone behind them. And the second guy I want to talk about today was a guy named Johann von Stoppitz. Stoppitz was an Augustinian and had a direct influence upon Luther. He was actually the one that Luther would go confess to. Now remember, pre-Reformation, Luther is what we call a Catholic today. And so the Catholic tradition of, of confession was alive and well, and it was Stoppitz that would hear the hard times and the struggles of Luther in his, in his confessions. And it was Stoppitz that would um, talk about sin and grace uh, to him. Uh, he served as Martin Luther's superior there as well. And so we don't know his exact birthday. We don't know exactly when he was, he was born, sometime between 1460 and 1469, most likely. He was uh, had a lot of uh, came from Czech nobility, from the Czech Republic now. Uh, he begins a monastic career. And so it should be of no surprise that he that he rose through the leadership ranks of the Augustinian order. Early 1500s, he was in Munich. He was invited to move to what is now a famous town of Wittenberg, where the 95 Thesis will be nailed to the chapel door in in later years by Luther himself. I, but Stoppitz becomes a professor of biblical studies and the dean of theology at a newly established university there in Wittenberg. Luther becomes acquainted with Stoppitz at this point. He's his superior. He's the father confessor. And Luther saw him through some, some really challenging times. Or saw Luther through some really challenging times. Luther wrote about uh, Dr. Stoppitz, and, and he said this, if it had not been for Dr. Stoppitz, I would have sunk in hell. And so Luther credits him with introducing, to him, introducing him to the gospel. Imagine you're the one that introduces Martin Luther to the goodness of the gospel. It eventually leads to the Reformation, the 95 Theses, and there's kind of a falling out between the two. Uh, Stoffitz didn't really think that the church was that messed up. Luther clearly did. 
And so they kind of had a had a falling out. But before that happened, Staupitz actually recommends Luther as a replacement for his own position there at the university as the professor of Bible and theology at the University of Wittenberg. And, and this the Protestant Reformation comes out of this, right? All these events are lining up together. There, after the posting of Luther's 95 Theses, which we'll talk about in a future episode, Staupitz finds himself kind of thrown into a position that he didn't really want to. He's kind of the mediator, the, the, the go-between between Luther and the Catholic Church authorities in Rome. Uh, he finds out pretty easily that Rome's really not concerned uh, with much of anything than keeping Luther quiet and stopping what he's trying to start. He releases Luther from his responsibilities there at the university and from his monastic vows, keep working on the Protestant Reformation, basically, is what he's allowing him to do. But Staupitz is not going to be an active um, supporter of the Reformation at the time. So it's kind of a passive support. He basically looks at him and says, I know you believe this, and I agree with some of the things that you're saying, but I don't agree with all of it. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you go pursue this because I know you believe it incredibly passionately. And so you you go, you do this, you do what you believe God is leading you to do, and I'm not going to stand in your way, but I'm not going to be the one there massively supporting you uh, it, at this point. But in October of 1518, stop, it's actually accompanies Luther to this meeting between Luther and the Catholic Church at the time uh, to kind of mediate some of, of Luther's issues. He's kind of seen as a figure that can possibly convince Luther uh, to not just go full-fledged in on the, some of the things that he was believing uh, at this point. He actually urges Luther to submit to authority. Luther does not, uh, and the relationship is severed at that point. Stoppitz eventually begins to distance himself from the reforms. He eventually resigns there because he he again he wasn't fully supportive of of the Catholic Church at the time, but he was not fully supportive of Luther uh, as well uh, in that way. Stoppitz refers to Luther in comparing his love for him to that shared by David and Jonathan in 2 Samuel and we see uh, this letter back and forth between them near to the time of Stoppitz's death in 1524. Luther sent him a letter, and he criticized him for taking the post in Salzburg, which is basically a middle ground between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Reformation. And he criticizes him for remaining loyal to the Pope and in service to a cardinal. Stoppitz replied to Luther's letter, taking issue with, quote, the direction of, that the Reformation has turned, both in its theological positions and in its conduct of its adherence. And so Stoppitz is caught in the middle here. Luther strongly believes what's going on, but he also isn't exactly an ardent supporter of the Catholic Church. In 1559, years after his death, Pope Paul the Fourth added his writings to the banned books list of the Roman Catholic Church. 
and without stop it's the reformation might never have happened because luther would not have had the time and would not have been able to get away from the vows that he had taken and so although he was not an ardent supporter he was one of the ones that allowed this to happen and luther will look back upon his relationship there with stoppitz and and say this was important this is a key part of my life and it leads him to the point of posting the 95 theses which we will look at possibly next week could be the week after that depends on kind of how i organize these these episodes but what we need to understand today is that regardless of how little influence you think you have as long as you're being faithful to god you could have a great influence even beyond your time here on earth we need to be faithful to the words of god we need to be ardent supporters and passionately teaching others about jesus so that the word of god can go out and be made known amongst the people. Hope you've enjoyed this episode today. We'll look forward to having another one of these Heroes of the Reformation episodes next week. should be posted on Thursday. Join me again on Tuesday. should be the 26th if I'm able to count, which is always up for debate. It is the 26th. should have another episode premiering, a review of sermon, our sermon from the 24th. Encourage you to be with us this coming Sunday at First Baptist Big Spring, January 24th, 9.30, Sunday School, followed by worship at 10.50 a.m. If you don't have a church home and you're in the area, we'd love to have you. We're located at 705 West FM 700. Our website is fbcbigspring.org. That's E as in First Baptist Church, Big Spring, B-I-G-S-P-R-I-N-G dot org. You get all the information about the different things that are going on, times and events and, and stuff that's going on in the life of the church. But thanks for joining me for this episode today. We hope it's been a blessing to you and hope you've enjoyed.